0: Pray for our time in the word and fellowship together. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that it's your loving kindness, Lord, that draws us to repentance. Father, your word says it is your desire that none should perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And that through Christ and through Jesus and Father, there's no greater love that's ever been displayed. That he would lay down his life for us. (laughs) That we may be reconciled through him to you. And in that, Father, that we are washed, cleaned, forgiven. (laughs) Not stained with the rebellious nature. But born again of this new nature. Of the spirit. And that your word reminds us that he had to go away so that the Holy Spirit would come. have the Holy Spirits within each believer God in us (laughs) working through us to bring about your plan Father your purpose that ultimately you would have a people who you would call your own and in return they will call you their God a redeemed people a reconciled people back to their creator Father thank you thank you for your great love Thank you for the hope for the prodigal mm-hmm. that he can come to their senses and, and get up from the pig pen, from the muck and the mire and, and turn and repent and be received Amen. and cleaned and cleansed and, and, and the celebration, Father, that takes place as even in our prayer time we read from Scripture that all heaven rejoices mm-hmm. When one sinner repents. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for repentance, for renewal, for hope that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Community, two definitions I've been holding up for us. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common and a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common interests, attitudes, and goals. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 through 27. Scriptures have been laying before us to encourage us to persevere in community. We are in the eighth month of this year. And oh, how I pray that you have seen growth and the desire to be part of community, to be part of fellowship, ultimately first with God through Christ and then with the body of believers. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 through 27. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First Apostles, Second Prophets. Third are teachers, then those who do miracles, then those, I'm sorry, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. I'm going to continue, verse 29 are we all apostles are we all prophets are we all teachers do we all have the power to do miracles do we all have the gift of healing do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages do we all have the ability to interpret unknown language of course not so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts but now let me show you the way of life that is best of all then he goes right in to first Corinthians chapter 13 that love is the greatest, but what we want to take from this portion of Scripture today is the encouragement that we are the body of Christ. That all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And as I've been encouraging us throughout the years, you should be a healthy member of the body of Christ. You should be contributing because if you are a believer, you have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has has equipped the church all of us have different gifts and they should be utilized in order to accomplish what Christ has called us to do within our community, within our city, within our nation and throughout the nations. We are the body of Christ. And again, <laughs> we are equipped. We're not to be lacking. We are to be equipped to accomplish what he's called us to do. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. Did you hear the word of the Lord? First, Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Continue to show deep love. For who? For each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. And then I love this. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Christians, we are to be hospitable. We are to understand the concept of hospitality and what it means to serve others, to open our homes to others, to think of others before we think of ourselves, to humble ourselves before God and not always have a chip on our shoulder or thinking the worst of others. It doesn't mean you don't use discernment. It doesn't mean you don't use wisdom. But we are not to be a people who, who stiff-arm <coughs> others. If we're stiff-arming others, the reality is you're stiff-arming God. But we must remember what God has done for us. You see, I've always encouraged us that you will freely give what you have freely received. And when you recognize, again, when you recognize that you are doomed, you are a sinner, in the presence of a holy God, apart from Christ, you are doomed. You are going to experience the wrath of God. But in Christ, you are forgiven. You have been washed clean. You're not bound any longer to the old nature. Because that old man, that old woman is nailed to his cross, and through Christ, you have received reconciliation with your Creator. And so now you, you're living out of a nature that is born again. It's a spiritual life now. It's not, a, it's not the natural life that is bound to the created. No, it's a spiritual life that is bound to its creator. And when you know what you've received, the love of God that you did not deserve and that you could not do anything to win it, that he freely gives, gives it to you if you come to him. And then the forgiveness that is there, the healing that is there. Like Jesus, God himself, came down in human form and became a servant. And why Christians think that they are above him not to love others is beyond my understanding. When Jesus is our example, he humbled himself. He became the greatest servant. And if you're following Christ, you understand that now you are a servant of Christ. You don't think highly of yourself, you look out for the interests of others to see them equipped, encouraged, edified, and built up. And this is the body of Christ, this is the community. Of believers, You know, I keep encouraging us that Jesus is the center of the church, of the community of believers. And the Holy Spirit has equipped the individuals that are in the church, that are the body of Christ, to accomplish the purposes of Christ. That the message of the gospel will go forth throughout the earth. That men and women would be reconciled back to their creator. Our purpose is to point others to Jesus. But in doing so, we are to be those who who understand hospitality. Uh, We're to be those who, who understand that what we have been given, we are to use. We're to serve with the gifts that he has distributed among us. And then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Everything. Not just on Sundays. Not just when you have, you know, that moment where, you know, whatever, now you want to do because it's pointing to you. No. Everything you do, everything you do will bring glory to God through Christ Jesus. That's why I've always said Christians, if you're calling yourself a Christian, a new creator, new creation in Christ, you have been born again, you're learning to grow and to mature, you are to be the best student, you are to be the best worker, doesn't mean you're not going to have your off days, but the reality is, is that you understand whom you are serving, and everything that you're doing, the way you're learning, the way you're contributing, whether it's in school, rather it's at your job, rather it's just in society. You're doing it for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. And that should be your purpose. You have surrendered your life, not because you were forced to, but because you realize the love of God. He so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of the church. To see others come to Christ and to live for Christ. Your Christian life is to be a life that is contributing to building up the church and then reaching and seeking after the lost to share the gospel with them. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. chapter 4 verse 9 through 11 actually 9 through 12 two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed if one person falls the other can reach out and help But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. You were designed for community. You were designed not to do this alone. There's not a Lone Ranger Christians. No, we are called to be together. We are called to accomplish what God has called us to and to do it together, encouraging each other, edifying each other, building each other up, linking arms, praying for one another, getting out there and serving. Getting out there and proclaiming the gospel, holding up a standard. This is the way in which you live. And you know that the world and the world systems and that spiritual realm in which you cannot see, but the Bible is very clear, it is there. All of it is at war with the throne of God. And if it's at war with the throne of God, it's at war with you. And it's at war ultimately with the community the church. And so you have to ask yourself as believers, if you're a believer, how are you getting up every day and dressing for battle? The Bible calls us specifically to dress in the armor of God so that we can stand against the the, the plans and the evil schemes of the devil, that we are to be rooted in Christ. That after we've done, and I love this, that we what we hear from Scripture. Scripture says, after you've done, all you know to do, stand. And stand therefore then. Because ultimately the battle is the Lord's. Amen. And the Lord will bring about His plan and His purpose. And so we're not to be a people who just cower down and hide. We're to be a people who go forth each and every single day bringing glory to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we need each other. More can be accomplished when others are added to the numbers. And that's why the first church prayed that God would add to their numbers to those who are being saved. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. The, big, the first church, after they received the Holy Spirit, they formed a community. All the believers, and listen to what they did, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great, listen to that, joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. God was doing something miraculous among his people as I described the condition of the earth and of these cities back then as the church was birthed on the earth, if you look at the city of Rome, you look at the city of Corinth, you look at the city of Ephesus, you look at these cities, and these were very dirty cities. <laughs> the level of the occult practices, the temples that were built, The prostitution, males and female prostitution and the orgies that were taking place on the the steps of these temples as you're walking through the city. There were vile and degrading things taking place. There was even religious people. Jewish religious Pharisees and Sadducees who should have known God, but yet didn't know God, because they weren't known by God, but yet they thought they were representing God. And so you saw the level of darkness and just the spiritual aspect of what was taking place in each of these cities that were so far away from God, because that's how people live. Before Christ, we're apart from God. We were born into a nature that is in rebellion to God. That nature loves nothing more than to, for itself to be satisfied. It's selfish. It's jealous. It's lustful. It's proud. It hates God. It's a religious nature. Who, who would say they love God and yet will not obey God. And that again shows you the true hate that they have for God. This is the old nature. And just as it was for those cities, and just as it is for each of us individually, God steps in and says, here I am. Like see, God is pleased to reveal himself through his son Jesus. Jesus to an individual, and to a city. And God sent forth these apostles, these representatives, these ambassadors into these cities to proclaim the good news. And these temple prostitutes were getting saved. These religious people were getting saved. The drunkards, the drug addictions, all of these people who were so far away from God And so far away from each other, they were totally different segment of societies. They were coming together now under the lordship of Jesus. That's beautiful. And all of a sudden, they're learning now how to love their God and to love each other and to love their city. God brought them out to send them right back in. And just as he did then, he's doing now. And just as he will continue to do until the day that he returns. All people from all walks of life are hearing the gospel. And praise be to God, people are responding and they're surrendering their life. They're not holding a form of religion and denying the power of God. They're not comfortable just being religious. No, there's a deep longing like, oh God, I am doomed apart from you. But you love me enough to have revealed yourself to me through your son Jesus. And God, I just want more of you. Mm-hmm. God, I surrender. You know, of myself, I am of no good. But God, through Christ... I can bring glory to you. And that is my life now. Not because of anything I've done, but because of all you've done for me. And so they were learning how to worship together. This God that they hated, that they despised, that they didn't even know. Their longings were changing. They were, no longer, they were no longer longing for this or for that. They weren't longing for the created to satisfy them. No, God, the creator satisfies them. Do you understand that apart from God, what you're searching for and this nature that all of us were born into is the created to complete you. Remember what I said a while ago? Each of us, every man, boy, woman, girl, that we are born with an emptiness inside of us. It is a longing to connect, to feel whole. And it's only through Christ, it's only being reconciled to your Creator, do you feel that completeness. Apart from Him, you will search it for the created. You will search it in a man and a woman and this and that and some weird religion and and, and some weird desire. And everything that you're trying to connect with, everything that you're giving yourself over is destroying your soul. And everything you're giving yourself to and latching your soul to is temporal and it's dying. All of this is going away. And yet in that old nature, that's what we're striving for. Relationships after relationships after relationship. Materialism after materialism after materialism. Lust, anger, greed, violence, envy, you name it. The created is in rebellion. So why on earth are we trying to latch ourselves to it to feel accepted or to feel valued? There's so much brokenness in in the earth. And everyone just wants the same desire to feel valued. And we're only going to know our worth when we receive Christ. No man, no woman, no desire, nothing is going to ever give you what Christ can give you. But your very being will fight that. Because I told you, the flesh only knows how to do one thing. And that is to die. (laughs) And so it craves the things that will kill it. How sad. But we are all, we're all part of that nature. Until Christ steps in. He is revealed to you. Man, when you surrender your life to him, your life changes. It's a transformed life. It's not a perfect life, but it's a maturing life. So I've always warned you, if your Christianity is the same where it was yesterday, 10 days ago, a year ago, 30 years ago, something is wrong. Because you're to be growing, you're to be desiring more your level of 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 hunger for God's word should be increasing and yes you'll go through seasons you'll go through valleys where you would just feel like God I just feel alone I don't I don't have a hunger and I don't have a thirst but the Holy Spirit's going to quicken you he's going to take you through these seasons to equip you for where he is leading you But even in those seasons, there's a depth of growth that is coming. That's why I always encourage you. The scripture says, yea, though I walk through the valley of death. It doesn't say, yea, though I take up camp. And I sit and I have a pity party. And poor me and my poor life and my struggles and my circumstances. And this and this and this and that. Because you're only looking at yourself. You're only looking at all your circumstances that are around you that are affecting you. And once you put your eyes on you, (laughs) what good can come from it? We got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, I don't know why I have to go through what I'm going through. But I know there's a purpose. So I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep doing. Because God, I know that you have not left me. Because your word says that you would never leave me nor forsake me. Some of you just got to start speaking the word of God out of your mouth. That's why I've always said, I don't know how you're living out your Christianity. I know you show up for church. But what are you doing outside? How are you living daily? How are you getting through the day? How are you warfaring? How are you training up the youth to warfare? How are you worshipping? How are you getting deeper into the things of God? Because as the body of Christ, as the community of believers, we are to be impacting our homes, our jobs. Our schools, our community, our city, our nation, the nations. (laughs) You see, your individual salvation experience isn't really for you, it's for others. (laughs) The collective body of Christ, the community of believers, is just not for believers, it's for others. Others are to see a life transformed and a community of people transformed. And how can all these different people come together and be and love each other the way they love each other? Because remember what the word of God says? How will they know we belong to Him? By our love for one another. And you've got all these different back like all these different lifestyles, all these different people coming from all different areas of of society loving God and loving others. And only God can get the credit for that because in and of ourselves we wouldn't have brought ourselves together. <laughs> but God by the power of the Holy Spirit has brought us together to impact the community and the areas that he has entrusted us with, our homes, again, our jobs. <laughs> Our schools. That's why I told you, as I said just a little while ago, you ought to be the best student, you ought to be the best worker, you ought to be the, the, the one in the community that is given to the community. You're to be active and engaging in your Christian life because you freely want to give what you've received. And you understand the opposition that's out there. We're not not everyone's going to come to Christ. Not everyone's going to love Jesus or love the church. So you understand the opposition out there. So we're not going out there to provoke a fight. But we're not just going to back up and sit down and be quiet. You see, the problem with the church today, and I use that term loosely, is they believe if they remain silent, if they just agree with people other, from other communities, no matter what the communities are, that somehow will win them over for Christ. And that is a lie from the enemy. Your silence and your agreement only shows your weakness. And if it shows your weakness, it shows that Christ is weak. Trust me, from someone who lived outside of the church community for quite some time, I was part of communities that were actively engaging and their lifestyle, and promoting their lifestyle. And demanding the rights. Pushing the agenda. You see, other communities out there, and I'm not just specifically talking about the LGBT, I'm talking about any community out there. Because there's so many different other communities of people They will fight for their rights, for their identity. They will move boundaries. They will do things that are uncalled for just to prove their agenda. It doesn't make sense to those that are not part of their community, but those who are in their community make sense. And so we just have to understand that we are engaging with a world that is lost. And even though Jesus hung out with sinners, he didn't become a sinner. He didn't lose who he was. He he wasn't quiet. He didn't just, oh, I agree with you. He didn't just lose everything. No, he was who he was. He spoke what he spoke. He held up a standard, and some of them responded. Others wanted nothing to do with him. Some cities asked him to stay stay with us. Other cities told him, get out. Some people were worshiping, others were saying, crucify him. He didn't lose who he was. He knew his purpose. His purpose was the cross. His purpose was the redemption of the created. To reconcile them back to their creator. Church, that is your purpose if you're in Christ. It's Christ. It's all Christ. It's all Jesus. And we ought to be excited about that. Like God has been pleased to reveal himself to us. We have the truth that people throughout time have searched for, we have received the truth, and now we ought to be impacting the world around us with the truth. So many people are out there screaming for justice. And what they deem, these other communities, to be justice is actually perverting justice. The church understands justice. But we have to understand that in the midst of justice, we don't lose our righteousness. We don't give it away to appease other people. That no, we are to stand. And we're to stand for righteousness. We're to stand for justice. We're to stand for truth. Whose truth? God's truth. (laughs) Not man's truth. And again, we understand that those outside of our community are going to push back up against us. Those outside of our community hate Jesus. Again, you all, it's a spiritual battle ultimately, it's two kingdoms colliding. But ultimately, the battle's already won. See, nothing gets around God, He's all sovereign. His plan is in place. (laughs) Nothing's going to stop it. He's a great God. He's a loving God, but he's a holy God. And he is pleased to reveal himself to you that you might live and not die. That you might accept this free gift of salvation and be born again and engrafted And to his family. And to his purpose. And to his identity. Holy. Set apart. This is the church. This is our community you all. And this is the hope that we have. In Christ. It's the good news. It's not a burden to people. It's not oh well you know. No no it's the good news. You ought to be shouting it from the mountains why we just all humdrum, down and discouraged can barely speak to someone oh I can't talk to them about Jesus because we're afraid of what are they going to say about me who cares, it's all for Jesus live for Jesus you all so that they can look and say to you why are you so different What is different about you? What has changed you? I knew you as this. You used to go along with this and do this, but you're not doing it anymore. So what is different? Jesus. Jesus. And again, you're not forcing them to believe. No one should have forced you to believe. (laughs) But the seed is sown. The seed is watered and ultimately the Holy Spirit is going to harvest it. But listen, y'all, we've got to be people of truth. We've got to be people who are honoring Christ. Ultimately, we are bringing glory to God through Christ. And I know we have all of our excuses of why we keep sinning why we keep having a bad attitude, why we lash out and why we do this and that and this and that and this and that. And you can keep your excuses, but ultimately the reality is is that you're stiff-arming God. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, don't live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. If we keep living as if sin is more powerful than the blood of Christ, something is wrong in our lives. Again, it doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but when you do, you feel that conviction like, oh, I'm doomed. Oh, God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. And you get up and you move on. It's not a flippant like, okay, whatever. Oops, I'm sorry. Oops, I'm sorry. No, it's a sincere regret and remorse. And that's what repentance is. I'm going a different direction. So before you just fly off with your mouth, before you allow thoughts just to run rampant, before you start demanding your rights, you better ask the Holy Spirit. Is this going to grieve you? Because I want no part of it. Tame my tongue. Help me to take thoughts captive. Help me to be bold in my witness that I'm not cowering down and afraid to talk of Jesus. Help me to understand that if they persecuted you, they're going to persecute me. Help me to know that you would give me the words to speak when I need to speak. Help me through this, this period and this season of my life that just seems to be all over. Help me to see you, yet though I'm in the midst of a storm, I see you sleeping in the boat. And I can take comfort that if my Christ is sleeping in the midst of this storm, I need not worry. Because you'll see me through it. See, I don't know how you're talking. I don't know how you're encouraging yourself or who you're connecting with. Daily <laughs> to be encouraged and edifying to be built up. That's why I always I've always said to you, I find it fascinating that when we're counseling or when I'm counseling Christians, not lost people, because when I counsel lost people, people who show up at the door, people I just connect with, and I always tell them I have nothing to give you but Jesus and counsel of the Word of God. You reached out. It's not of your own. God is working in you. So I'll listen to them and I'll counsel them from Scripture. And how they respond, I don't get offended by. They're not wounding me. Many people storm out of here. Many people want to fight me. Many people just act crazy. Crazy. But that's what you expect, especially if they're lost. But the seed has been sown. You just keep praying for them. Don't get offended. But for believers, if I'm counseling a believer and they're saying that they are a believer, it always fascinates me that the first thing out of their mouth is, don't tell me I need to pray more. Don't tell me I need to worship. Don't tell me I need to go to church. What do you want to be told then? Because this is a spiritual walk. This is a spiritual life. Your lack of prayer, your lack of worship, your lack of fellowship, huh, you're lacking. And you're going to get beaten up. You're going to get dragged out. So, no, that's all we have for each other. Jesus. Just that's all we have for the boss. Jesus. Look all through the Bible. The standard of righteousness is lifted up. Men and women and the youth are drawn because of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are living in places and working in places that are so ungodly, and yet you're the only Christian in the workplace, in the home, in a city, on the (laughs) streets. And you're to be the light bearer. You don't hide your light. You're to raise the standard. You're to raise the standard. You're not like a bull in a china shop demanding everyone acts like a Christian in front of you. No, no. But you don't act like the, the lost in front of them. You don't give in to what you're seeing going on around you. You just got to live it out. Because that's what he calls us to do. To live it out. And so today, as before we get into walking through our scriptures, this week I've just been praying through and thinking through and praying for us and what it means, not just our fellowship, but the church throughout the earth. What does it mean to live as a citizen of heaven? You see, in Philippians 3.20, that's what it calls us to do. To live as citizens of heaven. And these three duties, I mean, there's so much more to these. I don't have time to, to give you everything that's in Scripture. You could go and do your own research and study and pray through it. I'm just going to share with you what I got out of my time this week. And I'm going to share with you the three duties, the responsibilities that Christians have to live as citizens of heaven. No matter what nation they live in. The first duty. The ultimate duty. The ultimate responsibility of a believer. Is the kingdom duty. The kingdom responsibility. And Carrie will have these in the notes. I encourage you. To open up your Bible. Sit down with these notes. And pray through it, read through it, meditate on it. I encourage you, come Wednesday nights or join the Zoom link on Wednesday night so that you can be a part of going deeper in these scriptures. The reading of the scriptures together, to hear how others are, are being encouraged by these scriptures, or just to ask questions. How can I apply this to my life? This This is an area that I'm having an issue with. It's a time for iron to sharpen iron. But we have a kingdom responsibility, a kingdom duty. Matthew 22, verse 37 tells us, Love the Lord your God with your very being. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. To love the Lord your God. Second, a part of the kingdom duty is seek first the kingdom of God from Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, then all will be added. And you have to ask yourself, as a Christian, this, is, this isn't some makeup story. Some weird religion that man created. This is what God has planned and God has purposed. And if you're saying you're a Christian, then you have surrendered your life. You have accepted this free gift of salvation. Your life has been born again. It is of a whole different realm. You don't know how to live in this realm in your own strength. That's why Paul says to the church, What are you doing? Why are you trying to live out in the flesh what you received in the spirit? It can't be done. But that's what that flesh does. And I've told you, even the Bible and Galatians, it tells us the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. And it will be a continual war until you take your last breath. And you just want to show up when you want to show up. (laughs) No. This is a daily life. This is, I don't know how I'm to live it, so God show me. Remember I told you that prayer from the beginning of my life with Christ. That simple prayer that I still pray this day. How now then shall I live? Because I know how I would live. You know how you will live. And you ought not to be making the same choices and the same decisions. The little things that affect you shouldn't be the little things that are affecting you. You're growing. You're maturing. In every new level, there's a new devil. There's something, there's always going to be something that is resisting your growth in Christ. And you have got to learn how to war, not in and of yourself, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to you, God in you, working through you to accomplish God's purpose and God's plan. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. And listen, these just can't be words. Oh, that sounds nice. Oh, yeah, okay, I, I love God. But the reality is, is do you know what they mean? How have they impacted your life? How do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength? How do you do it? If I called on you right now, could you answer that question? And that's what I told you. And I said a couple weeks ago, listen, we got to stop being these weird Christians. God, give me, give me, do for me, do for me. God, heal this. God, I need my money for my ring. God, I, I need this. I need that. God, and we're, we're doing, we're scattered all over. And we never once asked God, God, how do I love? I don't know how. But God, you've given me the desire to. See, sometimes we just need to stop and just say, God, just start with point number one. I want to know how to love you. Grow me in this, God. God, I want to know what it means to seek first the kingdom. Because God, when I get up every day, I've got all these issues that I have to address. God, I have to be responsible for this, for this, for this, and this and i'm overwhelmed and i'm anxious and it just seems a bit too much but god in the midst of all of this how do i seek the kingdom first are you asking this is a relationship with him this isn't some weird rabbit's foot rub the foot this isn't some lucky charm this isn't some mystical stuff And listen, I've heard Christians over and over and over say things that are mystical. Oh, Jesus, it's demonic. It's occultish. You cannot combine the occult with Christ. And we better be careful of that. We better understand the difference between light and darkness. And not get into this place where it's light light magic. It's dark. It's demonic. But to seek the kingdom first. And then Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26, the third one. Live as a follower of Christ. This is your kingdom responsibility above all. Above all. To love the Lord your God. To seek the kingdom first. To live as a follower of Christ. And then the last one, the great commission. To go forth. Telling others. Sharing the gospel. Seeing people baptized. Seeing them be discipled. That they're living it out. All the commands that the Lord has spoken. This is the kingdom duty. This is the kingdom responsibility that each of us have. And if, if it's not active in your life, you need to be honest with God. Because there's a lot of people who have a form of religion, but they deny the power of God to transform them. And do you realize those are the only people we're told to stay away from? The church—we're not told to stay away from the lost, but we are told to stay away from religious people who hold a form of Christianity, but the, but they deny the power of God to transform them. The second duty, the second responsibility that a believer has, is a moral duty. A person's a moral. So let me give you the de- definition. A person's standards of behavior or beliefs concerning what is and is not acceptable for them to do. Your moral duty as a Christian. The Bible has a lot to say about it. Matthew 22, verse 39, love your neighbor. It's the second greatest command. Love your neighbor. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, live as Christ's ambassadors. That's how you're called to live. Ephesians 4, forget your former way of living. You cannot claim Christ and hold on to what was behind you. You've got to let it go because it's not who you are anymore. You have been born again of a new nature and we have to that's the message we share you're born again i love to see these testimonies you know whenever i have an opportunity when i hire people it's the first question i ask them because i serve in a ministry is how did you accept jesus christ as your lord and savior and i love hearing these testimonies and there have been some times in the hiring where, you know, they share and they'll tell me this, 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 this. But I never heard out of their mouth that they, they have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. So I have to ask them. And then give them an opportunity if they say, well I, ne- well, I never thought about that. I just go to church. I just grew up in a Christian family. Like, so you think that you're... Grow, you're growing up in a Christian family. You think you just being and doing is what makes you a Christian? See, so we have to have these honest conversations. But to hear these testimonies, and let me tell you something the, the, the young people that I'm hiring, I'm hearing these testimonies. And I'm like, oh God, thank you, Jesus. Like the world, there's still hope. Ultimately, there's hope in Christ. But God, you're raising up a, a people within a wicked generation out of it, young people who love Jesus like I just sat with this young girl the other day, she was sharing her testimony and oh my goodness, I was like God, thank you, thank you thank you because she loves you and she's connected with an incredible church she's getting rooted and grounded in Christ and she just loves Jesus you know, that's all, just all I just love Jesus and that's what I'm telling you all. Like, you have to let go of your formal ways. not because Rob says, because Scripture tells you in Ephesians 4.22, forget it. It's not who you are anymore. But the longing is still there. I get it. Die to it. What does it mean? This is, these are the questions you have to ask. How am I to live now? What do I do when all of this just comes out screaming? Scream back at it. You've got to learn how to pick up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You've got to learn how to pick up the shield of faith. You've got to learn how to put on the helmet. you got to learn how to put on the belt. you got to learn how to live now and be excited about it. Because God, you were pleased to reveal yourself to me. God, you could have let me go into an eternal hell and be separated from you for the rest of eternity But God, you love me. That you revealed yourself to me through Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. Oh, help me, Holy Spirit, to forget the formal way of life. Finally, Romans 12, live as a living sacrifice. Your moral duty, your moral responsibility to live in a generation as one who is a living sacrifice to Christ. I'm no longer following the ways of this world, but I'm freely laying myself down. I'm not forced to live this way. I'm not suppressing anything. I'm not hiding anything. I know what it's like to live. I enjoyed who I was. (laughs) I never once thought differently. I enjoyed every part of it. But yet there was still a depth of longing within me. As it is with every (laughs) sinner. That longing to feel valued and whole. And no matter how I exhausted myself trying to find it, I couldn't. And you never will. It is not until God steps in and says, I've been trying to get your attention all this time. I formed you. I know you. I numbered all the hairs on your head. See, that's why I keep telling you we have to know our God. The youth today, they have to know God, not religion. Like you have to see him at work in us. We gotta testify, we gotta tell of all his great works. So they know how great God is. If we're just dragging them to church or forcing them to do and do and do and do, they the hatred that they have for God is just going to grow even more. It's a relationship. And they ought to see it being displayed through us. And even in their failures, encourage them to look to Christ. As I look to Christ, you look to Christ. Encourage them, give them the understanding of the flesh. Oh, how I wish someone at my youngest of age would have told me about the flesh and gave me an understanding of of the spiritual life. I don't know if that would have altered anything. But I know some things, once I understood and it was revealed to me, I was like, what have I been doing? My nature hates you. But yet you love me. And you say, here's a way out. You don't have to, rem- you don't have to remain rebellious any longer. Like just receive and be born again of a nature that will live forever, for eternity. And then finally, your civic duty. And this is a big issue. And when I talk of this, I'm just not talking about American politics. I'm talking about every nation on this earth. Christians, you have a kingdom duty, you have a moral duty, and you have a civic duty. And a lot of churches will focus just on the kingdom, and they will just focus on the moral. And they say, We're not going to get involved with the civic. And let me tell you something that is demonic. Because that's where Christians need to be involved. Again, not just in America, but throughout the earth. Throughout the earth. But when I hear Christian, oh, I don't vote. Oh, I'm not going to get involved in that. That is ignorance. That is demonic. And you say, well, how can you say that? How could you say it's not? Because when Christians aren't involved Do you know all these other communities are involved? And do you know ultimately what will be passed? Do you understand what is happening? Well, I'm just trusting God to put the right leaders in. God puts you on this earth and in the city that you're in and in the nation that you're in, no matter where you're at, to make a difference. And the devil and his demons and the world system and all these other communities that are in rebellion against the throne of God, they're the loudest. And as soon as Christians step in and say no, no, here's the standard of righteousness. We will respect you and we will care for you because we understand First, our kingdom responsibility, our moral responsibility. We don't hate you. We're not going to let you suffer because you're not a Christian. We're going to make sure you're taken care of and that you can prosper just as much as we can prosper. Because it rains on the just and the unjust. And see, there's a way we can have discussion and talk. And we can have debate. But we have to be active. See, if your Christianity isn't active then in reality, you don't have relationship with Christ. And so this weird teaching that has spread throughout the church, who tells the Christian to stay out of civic duty, stay out of it, have nothing to do with it. Come on, the Bible has so much to say about it. Has so much to say about it. And so we have to wake up. We have a responsibility And you say, well, I don't know any of the candidates. Well, you don't know because you don't seek. Well, I don't know about this or that. What have you read about it? What have you asked about it? You're to be engaging in this. Because how can you pray for a city? How can you pray for whatever you're praying for, not be involved in allowing God to use you to bring about his purpose? I've said to you before, so many people are praying, Lord, do this, or Lord, do that, or God, why haven't you? And God says, I have, I placed you there. The question is not, God, why haven't you? The question is, why haven't you? Open up your mouth. Had a better attitude around them. Grow in love and compassion. Be a part of change be a part of change because listen before Christ before I came and was engrafted into the family of God before I got involved into the Christian community oh I was part of a community that was shunned that was pushed out of politics we weren't welcomed and I was part I took part in the in the planning and strategy. Of how we will push our agenda, and learning the judges, and learning the representatives, and learning what to do to get exposure from the press. Listen, no other community is sitting back and silent. They are strategizing. They they are organized. Oh well, it's ungodly. That's not get involved with the civic affairs. What what kind of craziness, y'all, have we have we adopted? Into the church, when in Matthew, and for civic duty, let me read, let me share with you what I wrote down here. Before I give you the scriptures, in the power of the Holy Spirit, listen. In the power of the Holy Spirit, not in ourselves. We're not out to attack other people. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are compelled outward in service to God and our neighbor. Our goal. Our goal. Hear this from your pastor this morning, unless it's twisted. Our goal in civic engagement is to bless our neighbors by making good laws. Because we have been called to do justice to our neighbors. We foster free press. We participate in open debate. We vote and we hold Public office, if that's what God has called us to. Jeremiah twenty-nine verse seven. Scripture is very clear. Have you ever read that before? It says, Work for peace and prosperity of the city you live in. Amen. Romans thirteen, one through seven, and first Peter two, thirteen through seventeen. It says, Be subject to governing authorities. Matthew twenty-two, verse twenty-one, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And I love Proverbs 11, verse 11. Upright citizens are good for a city. We are to be engaging you all. I mean, just look what happened with the abortion law, they were ready to just hang all the Christians. There's going to be response when Christian law or, or legal or legislation that, that is good, that it's upright, that is moral is passed. We're going to look as if we're the ones causing trouble. You're the troublemakers. You're the ones promoting hate. You're the ones promoting this and that division, hate speech. In reality, no, we're not. You can live however you want to live, and you're protected by the law. And whatever nation you're in, whatever the Constitution is, whatever the the subject and the rulers of of your area, but there's other nations that have lived ungodly, that have had ungodly laws. They end up voting in these righteous leaders who of the Christian faith and these nations are beginning to prosper. And the people are beginning to see hey, wait a minute. We're prospering. I mean, you should see what's happening in these other small communities around the earth and the way God is moving. So, again, I'm just not talking about America, but you can look at the larger scale of larger nations that are wicked, that have wicked laws and wicked leaders, and a sign of judgment on a nation is wicked leaders. That's That's in the Bible. Because the righteous have remained silent. And that's the devil's tactics, and that's the devil's plans, is to keep us from engaging in our kingdom duty, In our moral duty and our civic duty. But oh God help us you all. Oh God help us. To be Christians. To be a part of the Christian community. To engage. To grow. How then now shall I live? I know how I once lived. But I am to forget the former way of life. And step into the newness of life. Sin is not to be my master. Jesus, I'm not a slave to righteousness. My life is to honor God. And if everyone else can have a voice, I can have a voice too. I mean, for goodness sakes. I mean, I, I, I post at least weekly or multiple times during the week these testimonies of these christians in these other nations that are suffering the most craziest persecution and i've said over and over and over and over and over here you have to have your you have to open up your spiritual eyes because it's a spiritual battle because again in the natural in the natural You would want Christians If you were governing an area You would want Christians If you were an employer If you were the business owner You would want Christians If you were an educator You would want Christians not, You don't even have to be a Christian You just want them Because they're productive They're productive They're productive uh, They're not causing issues They're not causing grief. They're not backbiters and gossipers. They're not thieves. They're not contributing to tearing down. No, they're building up. So, why are they being persecuted at a greater level than ever before on the earth? And think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. There was a time where they used to usher Christians into stadiums for the enjoyment of the non-believers to see them devoured by lions. There was a time where Christians used to be gathered, nailed to a post, and lit on fire as people were walking out in the city enjoying the nightlife and listening to their screams as they're burning, lighting the path for them to get to one place, to another, to another. And that's horrific. But what is happening now is even at a greater level of persecution that is taking place to Christians. We are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness is ruling and reigning in the natural But Christian, take heart. Be of good cheer. Abide in Christ. Grow in Christ. Mature in Christ. Stand up for Christ. And live your life. Amen. And engage. Stop being a tool of the enemy. You have duties. You have Responsibilities as a believer. And they all come from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So that ultimately God gets the glory through Christ in you. And so I just want to encourage you in that. The Heidelberg Catechism. We're moving on to the Holy Sacraments. The Lord's Day 25. We have three questions. Actually, four questions today. First question, it is through faith alone, it is through faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits. Where then does that faith come from? The answer, the Holy Spirit produces in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of holy sacraments. So what are the sacraments? Sacraments are visible. Holy signs and seals, they were instituted by God that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's gospel promise to grant us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes. In the gospel, the Holy Spirit teaches us, and by the holy sacraments confirms that our entire salvation rests on Christ, one sacrifice for us on the cross. Well, how many sacraments did Christ institute? In the New Testament, two, holy baptism and the Holy Supper communion. Again, there's scriptures that are tied to these answers, to these questions. I would encourage you, grow in your faith. Don't just be a quote-unquote believer that just shows up. In James, when it says, just don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer. Don't be like the man that intently looks into the mirror and then when he turns around, forgets what he looks like. Look intently in the Word of God. This is your new identity. It's in Christ. And when you close the book, you shouldn't forget what you look like. You should be able to live it out, not in your own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 18 is where we're heading. Verse 18 of chapter 4, and then we're going to read through chapter 5 to verse 27. 2 Kings. Lord, I hope you're encouraged and I hope you keep growing in community. Hope you keep persevering and asking the Lord to give you desire for a greater growth in Christ and in community with other believers. Chapter 4, we left off last week in chapter 4 when Elisha told this woman that she was going to have a son. So we pick up in chapter 8, one day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there and she urged him to come. No, chapter 18, I mean, verse 18 is where I'm at. Sorry, right. verse 18. We read that last week. Verse 18. Here we go. One day when her child, again, this was the, the, the child of the woman that Elisha spoke that she would have. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of his servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor Sabbath. But she said, I will be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, Hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. And he said to Gehazi, Look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, Is is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, I, everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell down, I'm sorry, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, Don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There is no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi, Call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elisha said, Here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in in her arms and carried him downstairs. What an amazing testimony of the power of God. And the faith of this mother. The faith of this mother. She knew that her son was a promise from God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he's dropped dead.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She didn't even announce it. She just took him and laid him on the bed of the prophet. That she responded by going to the prophet and by faith believing. I didn't ask for this. You spoke this. And God moved in an incredible way. But we're going to see through the acts that we're going to read of Elisha foreshadowing of the greater prophet that would come, Jesus. Don't, don't, don't neglect that understanding. Remember, I've always encouraged you as you're reading through Old Testament, all of this is pointing to Jesus. Everything of the Old Testament points to, to Jesus. Everything we're reading, if you, under, if you ever read through Jesus' teachings today, you're going to be like, oh, wait, that sounds like a miracle that I know of in the, from the New Testament. Like, you're going to see Elisha was an amazing prophet, a man of God, but one would come that's greater than Elisha, Jesus. And so I get encouraged when I'm reading this to see the faith of these individuals and then just to see the faith of the servants of God to move according to how God has led them and their obedience bringing about the glory of God in the midst of all of this. So now Elisha, verse 38. Elisha now returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. One day as a group of prophets was seated before him, he said to his servants, put a large pot on fire and make some stew for the rest of the group. One of the young men went out into the field to gather herbs and came back with a pocket full of wild gourds. He shredded them and put them in the pot without realizing they were poisonous. Some of the stew was served to the men. <clears throat> but after they had eaten a bite or two, they cried out, Man of God, there's poison in this stew. So they would not eat it. Elisha said, Bring me some flour. Then he threw it into a pot and said, now it's all right, go ahead and eat. And then it did not harm them. One day a man from Baal Shalishah brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. Elisha said, give it to the people so they can eat. What? His servants exclaimed, feed a hundred people with only this? But Elisha repeated, I love it. Give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat. And there will even be some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. Again, y'all, God is faithful. Like if we would just know our God, God is faithful. He's faithful to what He has already established. Chapter 5. The king of Aram had a great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But through Naaman was though I'm sorry, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, their Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of leprosy. Now, listen, don't miss out on this. I don't know if you've just heard what was read, if you're following along, if your ears didn't perk up and go, okay, wait a minute, what? What did that just say? That the Lord gave this commander of an army That's an enemy to Israel. Great victories. The Lord did that. You have to remember the Lord was using these other nations. To discipline Israel. Who's in complete rebellion towards him. You see the Lord is moving through all. He will use what is needed to bring about his purposes. And I love the fact that as the Aramean army invaded. They took. Slaves, this young girl now, who was an Israelite, one caught out, separated for God's purpose, looks at her master and says to the woman, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of this leprosy. She spoke about the God that she knew in the midst of her captivity. Oh, God, if y'all don't get excited about that. Some of us are faced with challenging times. Some of us are faced in seasons of life where it looks like we are just held hostage to our circumstances. But even in the midst of that, speak of God. This young girl could have just said, oh, whatever. It's going to be quiet because I don't want to cause waves. She didn't know how they were going to respond, but she spoke. She still had compassion she spoke and she gave them hope so naaman told the king what the young girl from israel had said go and visit the prophet the king of aram told him i will send a letter a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of israel so naaman started out carrying carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing This letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of this leprosy. When the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God? That I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard, that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and I will learn that there is a true... So he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and the Pfeiffer Better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. This guy is ticked. He expected one thing from the man of God. He didn't get it. This man, don't forget, he's, he's a warrior. He's full of pride. He's not, he's not an Israelite. He does not, he does not know the ways of God. He's from their Mayan nation where they have all these gods. The rivers there where he's from are beautiful, are clear, are healthy. This Jordan River is dirty. It's mucky. And this prophet wants me to go down there? Oh, I guess I will not. Why didn't he come out and meet me? Doesn't he understand my status? He expected it to go his ways, and he's no different than us at times. We're expecting God to move in a certain way, and when God does it, what do we do? We complain, we grumble, we fault fine. All of a sudden we're stiff arming God. It would, just do ours, it would just do us well to obey God. To do what He says to do, even though we can't understand why. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he, has simply, when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man God has had instructed. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Oh, this is incredible, y'all. Please don't miss this. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, Now, now I know, O Lord, that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept my gift from your servant. This man at this time and this season on the earth came to knowledge of the true God. Now he knows. Of all the gods that he has served, of all what he has seen, Ah, there's no other God but the God over Israel. So he offers these gifts. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, All right, But please allow me, and this is important, O Lord, please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place, and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any other God except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me. I love this. Oh, I don't know if you read that earlier this week. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god of Remen to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me. Pardon me when I bow to. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. I want you to understand. He took that earth, he took that dirt from that place. So that when he goes home and he builds his altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, it's on the dirt from Israel. He also understood that he was still in service to the king. And he was bold enough to ask, don't hold it against me when I walk in with my master and he worships his God. That's not the God I'm worshiping in. And right there, we see, yet gotta get a glimpse of God's plan and purpose from the beginning to the end. That all tribes, all nations, all people are going to be engrafted in to His plan and His purpose. All of them who will call upon Him, believe in Him, and worship Him. Man, that just excites me. So let's move on. Verse 20, we're gonna read through verse 27. So, <coughs> Naaman begins to leave. <coughs> but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Is something? Is everything all right? Naaman asked. Yes, Gaethje, I said. But my master has sent me to tell you oh, that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. He will like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to them. By all means, take twice as much silver, Naaman insisted. He gave him two sets of clothing, tied up the money bag, tied... The money in two bags and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants, sent them in back. Then he went and hid the gifts inside the house. Listen, this is Elisha's number one servant. And he's all about himself. He's lost, he's lost sight of God. <laughs> he's lost sight of the service that the Lord has brought him into. And he's only concerned now for himself. He's now lied. He's now being deceptive. When he went in to see his master, went to his master, Elisha asked him, and Lord, he should have known. I mean, Elisha, God's, God just reveals everything to his prophets. like he thought he was going to get away with it. But he's no different than us. You know, we're, we're in church, we're among the community, we're worshiping God, and something incites us during the week to do that we know we ought not to do. And we open the door. And the Bible says, don't give a foothold to the devil. You give him a foothold, he's going to develop a stronghold. And what is a stronghold? It's a pattern of thinking that you begin to believe that's contrary to God's truth. And it begins to lead you astray and things just start building off of it things that will ultimately ruin you you say well then what's the good news or is there any good news if a stronghold is built yes the bible tells you that he gives you the weapons of your warfare to demolish strongholds god's truth will demolish strongholds but please grow and mature where you're not giving the enemy a foothold that you understand what it's going to ultimately lead to. This servant, he should have known, but he was so consumed by the material things that he deceived himself. And that's what I've always told you. Oh, the greatest deception is not that you're deceiving others. It's that you've began to believe your own lies. That you live in a warped reality that's not true at all. And yet you're pretending you're a Christian. Oh, we got to wake up. So when he went in to see his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been? Now Elisha knew. I haven't been anywhere, he replied. But Elisha asked him, Don't you realize that I was there in spirit with Naaman when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle, male and female servants? Because you have done this, you, and not just you, your descendants, your family, from here on, will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow. And not just him but his family forever. He sought to look after the temporal things instead of after the eternal things. He was already in service to the Lord. And yet the Lord wasn't enough. And that's why I've always encouraged y'all and understand this. When we begin to see that the Lord is not enough, we will look elsewhere. We will look elsewhere. But trust me, nothing good will come from all this other stuff that is presented to you. You see, each day, choose life. Life and death are set before you each day. Choose life. The Bible tells us sin crouches at your door. Its desire is to master you. But you must master it. There's a way in which you are called to live, you all. And I love Elisha's answer. Did you not think I was in spirit? When Naaman stepped down from that chariot, I was there. I saw what was going on. See, this is how God moves. From the old to the new for eternity. It's a spirit life. It's a life birth of the spirit. And oh, how we need to be spirit-filled and to walk in the spirit, as the Bible tells us. If we habitually, continually walk in the spirit, we will not give in to the flesh. Go to Acts chapter 15. We're coming to a close. Acts chapter 15. Oh, I'm excited to be in the book of Acts. Acts 15, 1 through 35. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some of the men of Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised, As required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them. Arguingly, vehemently. Notice Paul and Barnabas wasn't setting aside, oh, you know, let's not cause issues, let's not... No, they stood up and they said, no, you're not introducing this to the church. That is ungodly. That is demonic. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanying them by some of the local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem as they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much up to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. While, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentiles' converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. I love this. It's brought to the leaders. The leaders are discussing it. And then we're going to see how through the wisdom of the Spirit of God given to these leaders, it's going to promote the unity within the church. Right now there's division. You have Jews. You have these religious sect of men who have been delivered, but they're not freely walking in the fullness of their deliverance because they're still demanding that the Gentiles be converted, part of their conversion, and they're Symbol of salvation is that they be circumcised. So at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach the news and believe. I'm sorry. To preach the Gentiles so that they could hear good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God, not challenging us? Why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take them from the to t- take from them a people for himself. And this conversation, or sorry, and this conversion of gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. Afterward, and here's the prophecy. Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the gentiles all those i have called to be all that, all those i have called to be mine the lord has spoken he who made these things known is so long ago and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the gentiles who are turning to god instead we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols from sexual morality, from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood, for these laws of Moses have been preached by Jewish synagogues in every city on ev- on, on, I'm sorry in every city, on every Sabbath for many generations. <clears throat> so I'm going to stop there before I move on to the letter for Gentile believers. they met. They did exactly as they should. They went to the leaders. The leaders addressed it. Ultimately, the leaders laid out the understanding like you're going up against God. What God did for you, he did for them. The Holy Spirit, they were cleansed just as you were cleansed. We're not going to burden them with this. God has not called them for this. And here's James, the stepbrother of Jesus, who is now part of the church. He steps up and begins to lay out an understanding, which I love. He says, we're we're not going to lay this on them, the circumcision, but what we would want to require of them. And again, you'll see this all through the letters. It's all about unity. It's all about maintaining unity in order to maintain fellowship with each other. Listen. Instead, we are right them to abstain from eating food offered to idols. The Gentiles were free to eat the food that was offering up to the idols. Remember in these cities, things were being sacrificed to all these foreign gods and the Jews wanted nothing of that. And so the church is instructing the Gentile believers, hey, listen, let's keep the unity here. And you're also going to see as you move through these letters, in some cities, they're told, hey, Jews, don't even ask where the food came from. Just eat it. Just eat it. See, it's all about keeping unity and so don't get so hard and religious on the requirements of food it's adjusted all throughout scripture even peter remember he had the vision he went to cornelius's house he ate with them whatever they presented after he argued with god and said and then god says why are you calling unclean what i've clean so James is saying, "Hey, listen, let's just lay this out. It's not for their it's not questioning their salvation if they do this. it's just to maintain the unity. But one thing I don't want you to miss, one thing I do not want you to miss, because we live in a day and age where people are trying to twist scripture. food regulations has changed. But sexual perversion hasn't. From beginning all the way to the end, it has not been lifted. And oh God, if the church doesn't hear that today. Because they're trying to lift it. They're trying to meet as leaders and says, well, did God really say? Let's just go along with everyone and anyone and everything. Oh no. That's not happening. It didn't happen then. It's not happening now. And even in Revelation, it tells us who are standing outside the gate. The perverse. The sexual immoral. That's not changing God's mind. God is not changing his mind. Because sexual perversion. Shatters everything that God has created. And we better wake up to this understanding. Everything. So when you see this. And when you hear this. Understand. Understand. The food regulations, all that good stuff, whatever. It is what it is. It's about to maintain unity. But sexual perversion, sexual morality, oh no, abstain from it. And remain abstaining from it. From the beginning to the end. There's no change. There's no change. No matter how they want to twist and pervert scripture, there's no change. Verse 22, then the apostles and elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates they, and they sent them to Antioch in Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. The men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barabbas, and Silas. This is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided Concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood of the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will be well. Farewell. The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered this letter. And there was, listen, look at this. And there was great joy. There was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging them and strengthening their faith. They stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Paul Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught. And, pre- and preach the word of the Lord there. Look, how the, look what God is doing in the midst of a chaotic civilization. Then, as he does now, his standards are what they are. They're not man's standards. They're his standards. Ultimately, God is looking for the unification of his church to be the church to honor him. And I love the fact that they were filled with joy. They were filled with joy. They didn't push back and go, why can't we eat the foods of the idols? Why can't we do this? No, they were filled with joy. Thank you for not burdening us with that. That we believe that the only way to salvation is through Jesus. It's not through works. It's not through works. It's only through Jesus. And this is the message that we give. And it ought to bring joy. Joy to the church when the message of God is being preached. Go to Psalm 141. Psalm 141. Psalm of David. I can't encourage you enough. Get into the book of Psalms. Allow the the transparency and and just the the wisdom that these psalmists pin to encourage us to keep looking up. No matter what our circumstances are, to keep looking up. Oh Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Oh, I love verse three. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. Let the godly strike me. Oh, did you hear that? He doesn't want to partake of that which is evil. He doesn't want to keep going the ways that everyone else is going. So God, send someone righteous to me and let them strike me. Let them discipline me. And listen to how he describes this. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. Oh God, we all shall highlight that, circle that, exclamation Put that in front of us instead of getting offended when another Christian encourages you to live right or when the preacher's preaching or even when you're reading the word yourself. Don't get offended. Ask the Lord. Don't let me refuse it. Let me see it as soothing medicine. Let me recognize that it's kindness because in and of your flesh, it's not going to sound that way. It's not going to feel that way. But I pray constantly against the wicked and their deeds. When their leaders are thrown down from a cliff, and the wicked will listen to my words and find them true. Like rocks brought up by the plow, the bones of the wicked will lie scattered without burial. I look to you for help, O sovereign Lord. You are my refuge. Don't let them kill me. Keep me from the traps they have set for me, from the snares of those who do wrong. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, but let me escape. What a beautiful prayer. Oh, you come talking about a warfare prayer? God, if you haven't, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Listen, if you're not sure how to warfare, if you're unsure what this Christian life is supposed to be, Lord, I just wish you would just sit down. Let's, let's start meeting together. Let's start encouraging you and, and giving some guiding, guidance into how to, to move forward. Like there's a way to pray you all. There's a way to move through life as a Christian. Lord, every plan and purpose that the enemy has strategized against me this day may be uncovered. May I not fall or walk into the trap. That which would want to be led towards me to entice me or to tempt me God, let me see it even before it approaches to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Well, there's a way to live, you all. There's a way to begin to move about instead of just giving in. All this, all that, all this, all that. And you're just reacting all the time. Do you understand? You're being manipulated. And you're giving the enemy ground in your your life to affect your soul. See, you've got to guard what's been entrusted to you. That's why the youth today look at Christianity and they go, what is this? What do y'all want? Y'all don't even know who you are. But when they begin to see the power of God, when they begin to hear the testimonies of God and see how great that He is, and there's a way in which we ought to live, I remember, Lord, I'm not going to go long, already long, long today, but I remember when I was called to the streets, to these, these, these kids who were bound by the occult, And we're not playing like, you know, Harry Potter. We're talking about reality. This was real to them. They were dabbling in the darkest side of the occult. And when I was standing there preaching to them and telling them, do you all realize you are bound by what serves my God? What you serve is not the greater power. God is the greater power. Jesus if I could tell you the things that I've seen. When warfare is real and we just want to come to church when we want, we just want, okay, whatever, okay, you know. No, no, you got to start living. Because again, your flesh, the world system, the spiritual realm is against you. And you just want to get up in your day aggravated because someone drove in front of you. You want to get up and overwhelmed and this and this and that because you know you can't pay your power bill. You wanna you wanna look at your circumstances and hate your spouse and, and and frustrated with the kids and you know, work this and my boss is that and this and that, and that's all that's coming out. You're in agreement with everything that's out there to destroy you. When you ought to be turning your eyes up and saying, Jesus! We ought to walk through your house and just say, Jesus! Oh. Some of you do good just to turn on the lights in your house. It's too much darkness. You're sitting in darkness. Start taking authority. Start taking that which belongs to you in Christ and start living. It is it's just not just church, you all. Like it is a lifestyle. Some of you need to start praying over the kids. As you're walking into stores, praying over the stores, as you're walking out through your day, God, let me not get so consumed in myself that I miss divine opportunities to bless someone. I don't want to be so consumed with myself, me, myself, and I, my problems, my family, my this, my that, and it just keeps me yoked in bondage. Get up from there. Walk by faith and not by sight. Ask for wisdom. Ask for discernment. Ask for knowledge. Ask for understanding. Move. Keep pushing and moving forward. And you say, But I'm exhausting. I've been doing it for a year. Keep going. Listen, I've been honest and transparent with you all, I've gone through some deep valleys. There's times I wanted to give up and quit. There's times I raised my fist to God. But God has been gracious and kind. And I've repented. Like, oh God, look what got me here. I started believing this. I started acting this way and doing this and thinking this and giving into this and this and this. And now I'm here feeling, ugh. But oh, you're so gracious and you're so kind that you didn't turn me over. You had every right to turn me over. But God, you kept me. Oh, just adds to the testimony of who he is. Listen, you all, he's real. He's God and he's good. And these psalmists knew it. And oh, how I pray that we would go to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17 listen i've always told just another thing I, I speak to christians and you know first thing i ask someone And a lot of the counseling i do is people outside of, from this church but the counseling i do when i ask them well, well how long have you been a christian well 17 years 10 years you know a while and so we're sitting down and i'm engaging with them and they look as if all the everything i'm saying is foreign i've never heard of this before in my No, it's not that they haven't heard. They just haven't listened. Because it's in the Bible, and they've been around preaching. The preachers can't change your life. The pastors can't change your life. The pastors can stand up. A Christian can come into your life. They can share the word with you. It is the power of God that would transform you as you believe by faith that what you hear is true. And this is now how I'm choosing to live. I'm not going to keep making excuses for the sin that is dominating my life. And it always amazes me, and I get so encouraged when I see, boy, they tried to fight that. They tried to fight that. But when that level of freedom comes, like when I sit with these men who are struggling with porn and adultery, and I'm seeing their family torn, up, torn apart, and the leaders of the ministry ask me, Rob, would you sit with these men? Would you counsel them? We don't, want, we don't want to fire them. We don't want to have to let them go. Would you walk them through restoration? And when I've sat down with them and I've talked with them and they want to fight back, they want to give reasons why. But as the word of God just keeps being laid out, laid out, laid out, and finally, that, that freedom that comes, the hardness that breaks, and some of these strongest men just begin to weep. Only God can do that. And that's for any of us. It's for any of us. Oh, that we would be open, as the psalmist just said, to correction. That we would see it as kindness. That it would be smoothing ointment of healing to our souls and to our life. Proverbs 17, verse 23. Lord, I was so sick yesterday, I didn't even think I was going to preach today. I was in bed all day. And then finished my notes till this morning, sister. Come on. Verse 17, verse 23. Oh, praise God. The wicked take secret bribes to pervert the course of justice. Oh, be not counted among the wicked, you all. Be counted among the righteous. Let's end in worship. And then I'll close this in prayer. Mm.